Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. A Hamilton restaurant owner reacts to Ontario's soon-to-be-eased COVID-19 restrictions and has some breaking news for us. Hamilton hospitals running out of a key drug to fight COVID-19. Hamilton Council moving ahead with a roundtable to discuss homelessness in our city. A new poll shows Ontario's NDP is ahead of the governing PC party. Rock star Meatloaf has died at the age of 74. And days after crushing Kingston 8-1, to the Hamilton Bulldogs visit the Frontenacs Friday night. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. We're seeing a positive trend. We're uh, still very cautious. And I always say we aren't out of the woods yet, but we're taking a cautious approach to move forward. And uh, I'm I'm confident uh, that we're going to move forward cautiously and uh, get things back to normal as quickly as possible. That is Ontario Premier Doug Ford uh, talking about uh, yesterday's um, announcement, the easing of restrictions in this province as of January 31st, the first step in that um, multiple step process to uh, bring us back to uh, near normality uh, will commence and part of that will be allowing 50% of indoor dining at restaurants which is uh, much needed for many restaurant owners. This is Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Rick Samprin with you. Let's chat about the easing of restrictions as well as uh, apparently some breaking news when it comes to a shocking story out of Hess Village. Erica Puckering is the owner of Electric Diner and joins us now on GMH. Erica Erica, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Thanks for having me. You sound a little chipper because I know there's some breaking news regarding the four <laughs> stolen outdoor heaters that were ripped away from your patio. Um, yes. t- tell us about what is happening now. Wow. Well, the last two days have just been wild. You know, I'm I'm chipper and tired all at once. Um, you know, we had our, our heater stolen in the middle of the night, uh, early Wednesday morning, um, and which were the biggest tool we, we had for our outdoor dining, which we were trying to run during this time with our indoor dining clothes, of course. And um, we got a call from one of our Instagram followers, John Daly, uh, on his way to work to Air Solutions Canada in the afternoon. I, I've never met him in my life. And he said, can you send me a picture of your heaters? I think I see them. And I, you know, he, I sent a picture. He called me again and we chatted. He's like, I'm on my way to work. I think I see them on someone's property. So I called my husband. He drove down there and sure enough, it seemed like them. So he s- sat there with waiting for the cops all afternoon for four hours, staking out this, <laughs> these heaters. And uh, the person put them on their truck, started to move. We called the cops again and they apprehended him. And sure enough, they were them, and um, we ended up getting them all back um, late last night uh, after hours of being at the police station and whatnot. But with thanks to this one guy who had been following us and seeing all the stories and the shares that everyone had been sharing all over the city. This is mind-blowing. What, what, what's your reaction to all that's happened over the last 48 hours? Well, you know... The morning we we lost them, we were just devastated. I mean, we've been tr- fighting so hard through all of these changes, and to take the one tool we had left and with no money to buy new ones, uh, I, I was brought to tears. It was the first time that it really that was the 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 you know the straw that broke the camel's back. And then I texted my neighbor, "Hey, do you have camera footage?" Uh, the owner of Andiamo, his name is Dre, and he felt really bad and he started going through his camera stuff and said 
hey, I started a GoFundMe for you. Um, you know, this is a tough time for everybody, small business. I would, you know, if this was my situation, I would hope someone would do the same thing for me. And we crossed our fingers, hope for the best. And within 24 hours, the entire amount that we put on, up, out there, of 12 grand, was fully completed. I mean, yesterday morning before 10 a.m., we had all the money we needed back to buy the heaters. And this was just hours before we got this call from someone who found them. So, you know, within 48, we have, you know, all of the money to buy new ones, plus have found them again. So, you know, we are making sure that they all work. And if they all work and everything is good, you know, we would love to return all of the money that uh, we were offered from the Hamilton community because we can't believe that we received all of this money and this, the warm hearts from everybody trying to get us back on our feet is just incredible. What a wild story. Erica Puckering is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, owner of Electric Diner. And, uh, you know, the, the outdoor patio, I'm sure, has saved your business and many other restaurants. How, how crucial has this been during the pandemic? Unbelievably crucial. Um, we would probably still not be here if we didn't have the outdoor dining. And the extension of our patio was brought by the city. It was the outdoor dining uh, district program they started last year, allowing an extension onto city property, uh, of course, with an application. Uh, and we did that. And that has been our saving grace. We've built a tent over it. We've put a you know big holiday tree up in there. We've put lights. And it's been the thing that has drawn people in the minus 18 temperature, you know, so uh, it's definitely crucial for us. When it comes to the easing of restrictions, we know as as of January 31st, capacity limits are going to be increased in places like restaurants will have indoor dining again, at least at 50%. Uh, Is now the right time? Are you guys ready for this? Oh, yeah. we. I mean, if you told me it was this afternoon, we'd be ready. Everybody is sort of on the edge of their seat. We'll take anything we can get. Half is good. It's great we are still going to continue with that tent because it uh just adds a little bit extra for us and um a lot of people aren't feeling 100 percent safe either if they're inside so it gives the option of outside too um so we'll do both we're ready great story uh, erica really appreciate the time today uh congrats on not only getting the uh, heaters back uh, the the money being dispersed back into the community a phenomenal story top to bottom uh good luck going forward as well Thank you so much. And again, thank you to everybody in Hamilton. We just can't believe the the warmth that everyone has given us. Erica Puckering, owner of Electric Diner, joining us here on Good Morning Hamilton. What a wild story. And it happened all within the last couple of days, basically. Wednesday morning, the heaters were stolen. Uh, You know, police start investigating. GoFundMe page is set up. More than $12,000 is raised. Twelve grand was the goal. And lo and behold, the heaters are found at a home by an Instagram follower of the restaurant. Police are called, an individual is arrested, and the heaters have been returned. Unbelievable. But hey, that's Hamilton for you. When things go awry, Hamiltonians are quick to pick up the pieces and say, hey, let's get this done. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Now that we've... uh 
anticipated uh, the health system being able to provide the right care at the right time for all patients in Ontario. Uh, we're absolutely prepared to remove the measures uh, in a cautious and gradual staged and phased approach. Chief Medical Officer of Health Dr. Kieran Moore adding some details to yesterday's announcement about the easing of restrictions. But as those restrictions are being eased and more people are being admitted to hospitals, including here in Hamilton with COVID-19, uh, disturbing developments have been uncovered because there is a key drug that treats COVID that apparently has uh, evaporated, has been used up at some Hamilton hospitals, and they're looking for more. Tocizilumab, I believe that's how it's pronounced, is uh, apparently in short supply. Dr. Zane Chagla is an infectious disease specialist with St. Joseph's Hospital and an associate professor in the Division of Infectious Diseases and the Department of Medicine with McMaster University and joins us now. Dr. Chagla, good morning. Hi, good morning. This is a worrisome development. What's going on with this drug? Is there simply a short supply? Yeah, I mean, it's that. that's it. It's uh, one of the drugs we give to people when they start getting moderate or critically ill with COVID-19. It helps protect them from getting ventilated or dying of COVID-19, reduces the risk of dying by up to 20-30%. Um, but, you know, it reduces risk uh, for a COVID patient here in Canada and reduces risk for a COVID patient in the United States and elsewhere in the world. And, and unfortunately, um, supply and demand have not been able to keep up globally. And, and, and we've had to start rationing our doses locally in order to, to meet the, the unfortunate uh, demands without the supply. So in terms of rationing those doses, are physicians having to decide which patients get it and which don't? Yeah, we do have criteria, and, and these drugs only work in a certain type of COVID patients, particularly ones, again, who are requiring a lot of oxygen or ones that have a lot of inflammation. And so we've been very strict with criteria to make sure that we do find those patients, you know, look at patients to say whether or not they're, there is an expected survival just for the sake of making sure that we, we give the drug to people where we think it's going to derive the most benefit. We've had to bring in alternative medications, which have, you know, similar efficacy, which is good, but, you know, are, are expensive and have more drug interactions associated. Um, and, uh, and yeah, our supply line for the next few weeks does not look very pretty. And so we'll, we'll probably have to continue to, to prioritize doses to populations where other drugs can't be used and there is still going to be a significant benefit. And as a physician, this must be incredibly frustrating because you don't have the tools that you need to get these people out of the hospital and, and getting healthy again. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, every patient you see, you put yourself in their shoes or your parents in their shoes and you said, well, you know, if my parent was here, I would want all of these therapies that are not only recommended on Ontario, they're recommended in World Health Organization guidelines for the treatment of critical COVID-19. And so, um, yeah, you know, it is tough and, and unfortunately rationing is not something that we want to do. We still have therapeutics for these patients, but not the kind of optimal therapeutics. Uh, and uh, and yeah, you know, I, I really wish we weren't in this situation. I really wish we uh, we had supply to, to make sure that every patient qualified. Um, you know, we we didn't have to make decisions on who to give it and who not to give it to. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, infectious disease specialist Dr. Zane Chagla joining us. Um, the oral medication Paxlovid is uh, apparently on the way. Is this going to have any impact in this situation? 
Yeah, I mean, so Paxlovid works early in, in the course. So these drugs that are in short supply are the ones that work late. When people end up in hospital needing oxygen going to the ICU, you know, a week or two into their symptoms. Uh, whereas Paxlovid, you know, will help. Uh, you know, the, the, the big paradigm shift is if you can get to people early who we think are high risk, we don't have to have these discussions of what happens at the hospital level. Um, you know, so it is arriving hopefully soon in the next couple of days from what I understand. And then again, we have a plan in place to make sure through St. Joe's that we're able to give it out aggressively uh, to patients that qualify. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a little trickier. Patients need to get tested early. There's a lot of drug interactions that we have to deal with. And so not every patient is going to be eligible. But certainly there's a lot of hope you know, for outpatient therapy, particularly, you know, to keep people away from the hospital, that might mitigate some of this so that we don't have to make these difficult decisions in the hospital. We've been told that the peak of this Omicron uh, wave is going to be in and around early February. Mm -hmm. Uh, When hearing about the easing of restrictions yesterday from the provincial governments, does the math make sense? Is now the time to be doing this? You know, it's tough. And and, this has always been very complex. You know, our bars, restaurants, gyms, and, and other establishments solely responsible for an increase in spread in our communities? Probably not. They probably contribute, but they're not, you know, the highest peg. They're the ones that are most easy to control. And so, you know, we we often emotionally tie them into, you know, opening and closing and high disease activity and low disease activity. But, you know, I I think, again, we, we do have to give some credit to this virus that, you know, is likely going to, you know, still spread even with or without these restrictions in place. I think we, you know, we'll hopefully see the healthcare system easing. We're starting to see ICU numbers stabilize out. We're starting to see hospitalization stable. I wish we could start surgeries tomorrow because that's a big need for the healthcare system right now. But at the same time, I think we we do have to be cautious in our approach to live with this virus. And and part of that is, you know, allowing some of these higher risk establishments to function uh, and letting people make their own choices, particularly if they've had access to their booster shots. You know, their risk of ending up in hospital is very, very low. Dr. Shagla, your analysis and expertise, absolutely invaluable during this time. We really appreciate your time today. Enjoy your day. No problem. All the best. Dr. Zane Chagla, infectious disease specialist, St. Joe's Healthcare Hamilton, associate professor in the Division of Infectious Diseases and the Department of Medicine at McMaster University. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Interesting developments in terms of uh, homelessness, houselessness here in the city. City Council moving ahead with a roundtable or a bit of a summit to discuss this important issue. And here to discuss it with us on Good Morning Hamilton is Ward 3 City Councilor Narinder Nan. Good morning, Narinder. How are you today? Good morning, Rick. I'm much better after that song. (laughs) (laughs) Aren't we all, especially on a Friday? Uh, So this roundtable is uh, obviously long overdue. We need a long-term solution that also includes some immediate action. What's your vision for this roundtable? Yeah, so it's pretty simple. The roundtable is very much focused to be a planning session, so not just a talk session where we talk about things that we've already talked about. Instead, really narrow down into the experience that those Hamilton residents who've had no other option but to live encamped in different places around our city to identify what are the needs that that population specifically has how does the current shelter and housing system not meet those needs? And then most importantly, come up with a unified solution around how we will address both the housing as well as the coordinated health supports that individuals who are currently living in camp need. 
Do we expect to hear anything new from those people who are in this kind of circle of doom, if you will? Uh, So I believe that we actually will, because the situation has actually shifted a bit in terms of why people are there. And I don't believe that city council has had the ability to understand and appreciate the nuance of experience. We have a tendency around the council table to kind of default to like, oh, yes, yes, we've talked about this issue before. Oh, yes, yes, we already figured out all the solutions. But yet here we are with a population of 80 to 140 individuals who are sleeping rough on our streets, and we're wasting so much precious governing time talking about enforcing those individuals, wasting city public fund resources that come from taxpayers in enforcing it rather than solving the problem. And I, and I really am, you know, I, I just feel so deeply committed to this. And if you talk to the folks who have been working on the front line tirelessly, oh my goodness, and everybody who's been working in the shelter system and housing support system, you know, we've got outreach workers who went into this work out of a place of deep compassion to meet the needs of those who have been made most vulnerable, who are not just burning out, but they've turned around and become healthcare workers of sorts, right? They're administering naloxone. They're providing frontline human-to-human care work. And that's the people who are paid, who are burning out and not getting paid enough to do that work. Then we've got the folks in our communities who've been volunteering, um, you know, as just residents with deep hearts, um, who've gotten out there and providing food, shelter, uh, supports, uh, providing winter gear, especially on nights like tonight that we just woke up from. And I believe that if we, we brought all those players together, the folks on the front line, folks with lived experiences, those who are burning out inside the, the shelter and housing sector, as well as those players who are well-resourced, to put together a united plan that we can get behind as a council and stop bickering about the solutions and actually deliver them. You know, we've had so many housing advocates as well as, um, you know, former politicians and folks from various sectors in the community come up with so many great creative solutions. But unfortunately, council hasn't had the opportunity to hear them and then make a decision about what we're supporting. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Ward 3 Councillor in Hamilton, Narinder Nan. We're chatting about a roundtable that is coming up uh, that is going to discuss homelessness, local encampments, and some solutions, hopefully. So when is this roundtable going to happen, and who is going to be involved? Yeah, so city staff are directed to host it, and uh, we'll have a third-party facilitator so that the session is very focused and that the city itself can be a contributor to the table of discussions. My goal would to ha- would be to have this conversation take place soon. We're hearing back from staff that it's likely to happen within within the end of this first quarter, potentially the first of uh, the beginning of the second quarter of this year. Uh, obviously, money will have to be spent. Mm-hmm. CHML uh, reporter Ken Mann is a story on our website at 900 CHML. That says that uh, the city of Hamilton is asking the province for upwards of $5 million to address this issue. Uh, Is that enough? Is that a start? What is that money going to be used for? I think it's a start. And uh, primarily, my understanding from those people who participated in the conversation, the goal is to secure the house, sorry, the health side of the formula in terms of additional health dollars to support the needs of those who are experiencing everything from addiction to mental health uh, to physical health and recognizing that many of those individuals who have been pushed out into the streets uh, are doing so not just from a place of poverty and being pushed out of their homes, but also because, you know, we live in a society that hasn't 
hasn't done enough to fund increases to health care supports for those who are living with disabilities. Uh, folks with disabilities are expected to continue to cope with life without additional financial and, and uh, well-resourced, amply resourced um, health care supports. And it's just been super stretched during this pandemic. So that's part of what we see those $5 million going towards, from my understanding uh, from the mayor. But more importantly, uh, I think we're going to need to hear from the folks who actually do the work on the front line, those organizations, the YWCA's of Hamilton, the, you know, Indwells and uh, the Good Shepherds being at the table along with folks like the Hamilton Encampment Support Network, along with Keeping Six, uh, along with Helping Hands, um, all the folks who, who are there day in, day out supporting folks uh, experiencing homelessness. Well, there is some good news in that. There's a lot of attention being paid to this issue, and rightfully mm, so. And there's yeah. a lot of great local agencies who are willing to help out and get to a solution. Councillor Nan, thank you for the time today. Enjoy your day. Enjoy your weekend. My pleasure. You too. Take care. That's Narendra Dan, Councillor for Ward 3, City of Hamilton, is a roundtable on tap to discuss homelessness and local encampments. And hopefully some solutions can be had. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. We're going to chat about a new and very interesting poll from the Angus Reid Institute that shows the NDP, Ontario's NDP, is now ahead of the governing PC party when it comes to vote intention for this summer's provincial election. Very interesting. Jean Vieftelier is a professor in the School of Public Studies at the University of Ottawa and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Jean Vieve. Good morning, Rick. So, as I mentioned, the NDP in the lead when it comes to voter intention, according to this poll. What do you make of this? That's kind of good news. It's certainly good news for the NDP. And it's kind of different from other polls we have seen during the week. And so that those other polls were putting the PC in the lead. But now the NDP would be in the lead. Uh, so we have to be careful. That's one poll. It's not, it's not mm-hmm. the, the real outcome of the election. But the interesting thing, I think, for the NDP is that there seemed to be a trend upwards. So they are gaining... Uh, support uh, poll after poll, uh, and that's certainly good news for, for, for the party. Is it more of what the NDP is doing right or what perhaps the PC party is doing wrong? Yes, uh, I think it's mostly the PC party that is doing wrong. We see that the popularity of Doug Ford is, is not very is not as great, and it has been better uh, a few months ago, uh, maybe a year ago, uh, within the pandemic. Um, and people now are kind of tired a bit of, of uh, what they are seeing, and they're not satisfied overall. And I must say, it's not just a thing in Ontario. We see it across the country. And so uh, almost all uh, the premier are seeing a drop in their popularity. And so uh, people are scratching their head and figuring out what would be the best option. And uh, for that reason, probably um, the NDP is kind of uh, being seen as the second option, uh, viable option um, for for many voters. Can we look to the pandemic as a big factor? Because as you mentioned, you know, we're almost two years into the pandemic. I think many people are getting tired. They, they, They want a solution and they might be looking at alternatives to say, hey, maybe this party can do it a little bit better. Yes, and one thing, and we have seen that in the federal election, one thing that will be a factor is that voters won't uh, choose the party based on past records. So it's not because they believe that Doug Ford have done a good job during the pandemic that they will necessarily vote for Doug Ford. They will be more forward-looking and saying, well, is Doug Ford the right person or is party the right uh, party 
for the remaining, so for the after pandemic, do they have the right program, the good initiative? And so um, uh, politics is sometimes uh, uh, hard. And so it's not because you have done a good job before that necessarily you will be reelected. And the NDP, and I don't know if you recall, uh, like a year ago, the NDP have pushed a lot the, 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 the government to put in place uh, some initiative like sick pay, uh, sick leave pay, um, and that kind of initiative. So if we think that uh, the NDP is better positioned to help the health to help the healthcare system, the education, and other uh, in other programs. Then yes, probably it will favor the the NDP. The uh, New Democrats, according to the Angus Reid poll led by Andrea Horvath, taking a three point lead in vote intention in Ontario ahead of uh, an expected provincial election this June. Uh, the uh, PC party with thirty three percent, NDP thirty six, at the Liberals nineteen. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton is Jean-Vivier Tellier, professor, School of Public Studies at the University of Ottawa. The Liberals at 19% in this poll seem a bit surprising because it, it seemed, at least uh, from the outside, that they had a little bit of momentum here. Uh, have, they, have they lost that momentum or are people just not buying into what Stephen Del Duca is as the leader of that party? Probably, I think, the second option. And that was a surprise for me, uh, the main surprise of that uh, poll. And I think there will be a battle between the NDP and uh, the Liberals. And so I would not be surprised for future polls to see them fluctuate and exchanging support. And so the NDP may be going down a bit and the Liberals up a bit. Uh, That being said, I think it's a concern for the Liberals and especially uh, Del Ducas, the the leader, because there is no recognition up to now. People don't really know who he is. We haven't seen it that much in the media. And uh, that would be fine, I would say, a year or two years ago. But now, since we are, what, within four or five months within the election, it starts to be a concern. So um, I suppose we will see him more, much more in the media and much more about the platform of the party also. But yes, that's not good news. But I would say it's not good news for the left in general, and that includes the NDP. Uh, I think the battle will be the, between the, the two, and that may favor DPC because uh, I don't think that their support will change that much um, uh, for, for the election. Yeah, you're probably right. It's going to be interesting to watch, especially as we draw closer to June. Jean-Viev, thank you very much for your time today. Enjoy the day and the weekend. Thank you very much. You too. Jean-Viev Tellier, Professor School of Political Studies at the University of Ottawa, chiming in on her thoughts on this Angus Reid Institute poll uh, when it comes down to vote intention in Ontario ahead of this June's expected provincial election. The NDP with 36% support, the PCs led by Doug Ford at 33 and the Liberals uh, struggling in third at 19%, which is, yeah, a bit of an eyebrow raiser when it comes to those statistics. I would have thought the uh, Liberals would have been at least in the 20s. In Ontario, according to this poll, 54% of women aged 18 to 34 say they will vote for the NDP, and a majority of men over the age of 54, 33, pardon me, 53% say they will vote for Doug Ford's PC party. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Iconic song from an iconic rock superstar, Meatloaf who died last night at the age of 74. What a life, what a career, and what a legacy that he has left behind. Eric Alper is our guest. He's a publicist and music commentator joining us here on GMH. Eric, good morning. How are you? Good morning. How are you? I'm good. I mean, uh, we know that Meatloaf wasn't of the best of health over the last number of years. Still very sad to hear that uh, he has passed away. 
Yeah, I mean, he was one of these larger than life figures, uh, and and physically and mentally and emotionally. Uh, I mean, there weren't very many people that mix pop and opera and schlock all together <laughs> and did them all very very well. I mean, if there was one person who always believed in meatloaf, it was meatloaf. And you know, when they were, when him and Jim Steinman who was his collaborator. He was the one that wrote a lot of the music and words to Bad Out of Hell. When they first connected with one another and shopped that album around to record labels around America to pick it up, they got turned down by every single record label in America. In fact, the joke was later on that they actually created record labels in order to turn themselves down. Um, <laughs> they got turned down by something like 37 record labels until they decided to find and seek out this um, pretty unknown one called Cleveland International, um, who took a chance on them, sold 47 million copies. It's the third biggest album in the world. But throughout all of that, Meatloaf believed in Meatloaf. He believed in the figure that he could become and the bombastic nature of rock and roll and what it could be and really what it should be, which is really fun. And that album, Bad Out of Hell, I mean, that just, you know, sent rock, I think, at least in my opinion, on on a new trajectory of, you know, grandioseness, if I could put it that way. Yeah, and sales too. I mean, this was one of the first records that showed the labels that you can make a lot of money, not just in terms of selling records, but sending these artists out on tour and selling a lot of records that way as well. You know, the stadium um, arena shows that we know, uh, although that we haven't gone to very many of them in the last couple of years because of COVID, but, you know, back in the, in the early 19, mid 1970s, it was artists like Meatloaf that showed people that you can actually get 25,000 people and sell a lot of records, but it was Broadway. It was Broadway you know, coming to your town and your city every single night with Meatloaf and Ellen Foley and his gang of characters that he brought with him on stage and um, never really left until, you know, there were a number of lawsuits, which happens when you make a lot of money anywhere, seemingly all the time. Took a little bit of a break, came back with Bite Out of Hell 2 and that song, I Will Do Anything for Love, and just became that public figure where, you know, he appeared in like Spice World, the Spice Girls movie and Fight Club and Nash Bridges. And so there were so many things that people wanted to have. He wanted people just wanted him to be meatloaf. You know what I mean? Like it was almost like he was a concept and he fit into that role really, really well. Eric Alper is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Eric is a publicist and music commentator. We're reflecting on the life and times of Meatloaf, who got his starts uh, on Broadway, even before really launching or exploding as a musician. Yeah, he started in the in the Broadway production of Hair, um, and then that led to a small role in the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And if people remember Rocky Horror, it it bombed. It 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 did so badly in the in the movie theaters when it first came out. But of all places, it started to break right here in Canada, in southern Ontario, where midnight showings of the film would 
um, would have people dress up like their favorite character. It was almost one of those, you know, the original so bad it's good films um, and people would shout, um, you know, their own answers to the film. But and that's what led Meatloaf to to actually, you know, uh, following that road and becoming a singer. Um, but he always, I think, wanted to be in music. This was just his his kind of entry into into the music world is is you know going on stage and and being who he was going to be bad out of hell uh came out in 77 i'll do anything for love uh with bad out of hell 2 came out in 93 is this the greatest comeback in rock history because he had practically disappeared for a while you know you mentioned the lawsuits and the like and all of a sudden boom here he is again and, and maybe bigger and better than ever yeah, and it's a word that we take for granted. You know, the word comeback is now given to anybody that disappears for six months or that has an, a, a break in between albums like most artists should be taking anyway. But back then, this was absolutely a comeback for the ages. In fact, he did an interview with Rolling Stone in between then, and he was just lounging around his house doing absolutely nothing but watching TV and playing video games. He was burnt out. He wasn't feeling healthy. He was just suffering from lawsuits um, that um, that came about through the Bad Out of Hell album with royalties, with lawyers. He was just so done with it. And then he got back together again with Jim Steinman um, with the boundless energy and passion that that they brought to one another and uh, created Bad Out of Hell 2 um, out of nowhere. And nobody thought, you know, oh, this is just a cheap ploy for for sales. I mean, it might have been because, you know, you call it a bad out of hell too, but but it was really an extension of what the original album was. It was just it was just it was rock and roll and opera put to life. We got about uh, 30 seconds or so. What's Meatloaf's legacy? I think whenever you want to think about a lead singer being larger than life and having an ego the size of the stage <laughs> and um in a good way and just you know, following your dreams, really getting turned down by every record label, but still managing to have success. I think it's a really good business mark and a business sense for anybody out there that wants to follow any of their dreams. You just have to do it. Great stuff, Eric. Thanks for the time. Enjoy your weekend. Excellent. Thank you so much for having me. We'll talk soon. Eric Alper, publicist, music commentator, uh, commentating on the life and times of Meatloaf, who, uh, no doubt about it, gave it his all whenever he was on stage. He was not selling you short. If you were to purchase a ticket to his concert, he was giving you a, uh, a 10 out of 10 each and every time. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Well, after walloping Kingston 8-1 to last Sunday, the first place Hamilton Bulldogs are visiting the Frontenacs tonight. And here to talk about it is the head coach of the Hamilton Bulldogs, Jay McKee. Jay, welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton. How are you? Thank you. Good morning. How are you? I'm I'm good. I'm good. I, I I'm good. You guys were more than good last Sunday. You really handed it to Kingston. It seemed like everything was going right in that game. Yeah, it was one of those games where you know I think we were we were on our game in all areas. Uh, we were ready for them. Um, everyone played very well in every position, and and uh, Kingston had an off night. So you know when you combine uh, one team going on all cylinders and the other team uh, having some issues in areas on that that particular night, it, it was a little one sided for sure. You had eight goals on Sunday. Your team has scored ten goals in a game twice this season. Having so many offensive options must breed confidence throughout the lineup. 
Well, it does. I think, uh, you know, we're not just a uh, one-dimensional team with, with the offense. I think, uh, you know, Steve Steos, our general manager, has done a masterful job at, uh, you know, drafting these players and, and seeing them develop even over the course of, of uh, the pandemic and the year shutdown. And, and uh, you know, uh, the guys he brought in have added uh, uh, real good elements to both sides of the game. And, and um, yeah, we, we do have good goal scoring guys that can put the puck in the net, but it's uh, a really well-built team where, uh, you know, there's responsibility down the middle. There's a great culture in the dressing room and, and uh, a good back end and, and goaltending as well. So it's, uh, it's certainly a pretty complete team right now. The team has had a number of games postponed at the start of that uh, start of this year. But despite that, um, you, you've won both of your games in 2022. What does that tell you about the guys in the dressing room that despite what all is going on away from the rink, once they're on the ice, they're playing at a high level? Uh, you know, we, we've talked about uh, you know just having adversity through the season, whether it's it's injuries to different guys, uh, you know, different situations, and and with you know games being shut down, it's it's you know we came into the season knowing that there there may be some cancellations or postponements and games moved here and there, and, and uh, you know you just got to take it as it comes and, and not get too concerned about it or make it a distraction. I think our players have done a great job at uh, you know having an understanding of, of that and. And just rolling along with, with whatever happens. Jamie Key is the head coach of the Hamilton Bulldogs, joining us here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. The dogs are in Kingston tonight. They'll travel to Ottawa tomorrow and then invade Barrie on Sunday. Uh, capacity limits at First Ontario Centre have changed again and, and throughout the league, not just here in Hamilton because of the pandemic, and they will again change in the near future. Have you noticed an impact from arena to arena? Well, I think when, you know, obviously when you play with fans, it just adds uh, an added excitement, uh, an added element to, to the game for the players. Uh, when you play in front of uh, a full or an arena with no fans, uh, you have to create your own excitement. And um, But I think our players have done a great job with that. And, and you know, like I said, they have an understanding that, uh, you know, some situations will be different than others. And, and obviously when, you know, fans are allowed back in the arena, obviously they're going to see some exciting hockey and and uh, gives the players a boost so we're certainly looking forward to uh, the day that that more fans are allowed in and and hopefully at some point uh, 50 or full capacity as i mentioned uh, you have three games in uh, three days this weekend are are those three and threes more difficult during the pandemic or is it just hockey is hockey and and you deal with it uh, I, I think three and threes are tough, regardless of uh, pandemic or not. Uh, you know, these guys uh, with travel, it's uh, it's a lot of hockey. I, I think, you know, we're fortunate uh, again that like uh, Steve has built a good deep team, and and you know when we play three and threes, uh, you know you don't line match as much as a coach. You've just got to get everybody going, everyone involved, uh, trying to get four lines in the offense and sixty going and. Um, you know, just try and spread out the ice time and not overload guys too much uh, with ice because, it, it, you know, just physically a 3-3 three and three is, is challenging no matter how you look at it, whether there's travel or not. Yeah, it is grueling, but the guys are uh, doing a great job this season. First place in the East Division. Jay, uh, thanks for the time. Good luck this weekend. Okay, thanks. Appreciate it. We'll talk again soon. Jimmy McKee, head coach of the Hamilton Bulldogs in Kingston tonight at Ottawa tomorrow. Invade Barry on Sunday. That is a, a pretty tough three and three with those three teams back home for the Hamilton Bulldogs on January the 30th as they'll host the Kingston Frontenacs 
on that day. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.